Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online. We're at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Coming up on today's program, quite a few stories to uh, take a look at. Uh, If you're interested in space, if you're interested in technology, if you're interested in uh, some of those stories and some of the social changes in the U.S., we've got you covered. All kinds of information uh, on stories relating to those uh, topics and plenty more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. I'm Dwight Falk with you here today and also Gino Cheese here. Hello, Gino. Hello. Good to be here. Yeah. Exciting to uh, have you. Gino is, uh, you probably have heard him on the radio before. He does uh, some segments from time to time when he has time to do so. Uh, A senior at Herbert W. Armstrong College. Soon to be graduated and soon to be a, a full-time uh, employee. So we will be hearing a lot more of uh, Gino. Maybe uh, you could give a little bit of your background. You're not a uh, not from the United States originally. Yes, I'm not from the United States. I'm f- actually from the Philippines. Um, I came here uh, four years ago and I applied for college and went through all the process of getting the visa and all that such such and. Now I'm graduating, <laughs> and I'm on radio right now. Yeah, we're, it's amazing. Where does the time go, right? Four years, it seems yeah, like it's, it's flown by. It's very, very fast. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how time does uh, zip on by. Uh, and then, of course, you wait till you get older like me, and it's not <laughs> its not years, it's decades. You're like, where did those decades go? What happened to things? Actually, the other day I was looking at a, a video on YouTube. It was an older video. Oh, I don't know. It was maybe from uh, the 90s, and uh, it's amazing how different it looks. You know, like when we look at, say, a black and white movie or something, we think, oh, wow. And you tend to think that's how life looked. And you can even see the difference between the 90s and today just as far as technology goes. And uh, but I had to remind myself that no life didn't look like that. It actually looked normal. It's just that the the quality of the footage was so bad in comparison to today. Yeah, that's right. When when I watch YouTube videos, not all the time, obviously, (laughs) but you can tell the difference. It really is. It's the quality is different. The the HD is not there, and then uh, the dancers or wh- whatever you're watching, <laughs> their attire is so much different and weird in some ways. Yeah, everything everything really, really changes. It's amazing how uh, you can really start to pin down the decades and the time uh, <laughs> by how things look. Well, we have quite a few stories to cover today, uh, and uh, we're going to start with this uh, one from space.com. There's a, a Chinese space station that's done orbiting it's it's been well it's not done orbiting yet but it's it's done being used and it's space junk and it's going to fall to earth and uh, you can maybe see this uh, happening uh, hopefully not not too close they don't exactly know where it's going to land so it could land on somebody's house oh boy <laughs> so you have to be careful uh <laughs> china's first ever space laboratory the uh tiang ong one did i say that right gino you know you would know better than me uh, <laughs> you can't see it. It sounds good to me. <laughs> sounds good, yeah. Uh, it says, we'll fall to Earth within the next week. 
And uh, weather permitting, you may get an opportunity to see it uh, in one of the final trips around our planet. So you might be able to see it go around, and then you may actually see it fall. So it's kind of interesting. If you go out at nighttime and you like to look at the stars, uh, sometimes you see things moving, and you think, well, it's probably an airplane, or occasionally you see a shooting star. Uh, in this case, you might see one of uh, Chinese's, uh, uh, one of China's first ever space laboratories in its final <laughs> few rotations and then crash to Earth. So uh, they say that the uh, space lab launched in uh, 2011. And then on uh, March 21st, 2016, Chinese space agency officials announced that it had officially ended its service and that the uh, telemetry link with the space lab had been lost. So... Uh, after that, it was just space junk floating around there. Uh, spacecraft trackers with the Aerospace Corps predict that uh, it's going to fall to Earth between early morning March the 30th, which would be tomorrow, and early morning April the 2nd, which would be Sunday. So sometime in there, they don't know exactly when. And uh, it's currently circling Earth about every 88 minutes at an average altitude of 134 miles. It's amazing when you get off of the planet's surface always how quickly you can circle the Earth. Yeah, it's amazing how much, how fast it is. Did you say eighty-eight? Eighty-eight minutes. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's quite a trip. You know, we uh, we were talking even before we came on the air about how fast you can get places. Say, if you have your own aircraft versus flying commercially and so forth. But uh, this is next level. <laughs> eighty-eight minutes to rotate around the Earth. I guess the problem is you you can't you don't know where you're gonna land. You're just gonna crash. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you it's don't side effects of it. <laughs> that's the problem, right? You don't know where you'd uh, end up, <laughs> or if you'd end up in one piece. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it's circling the Earth uh, every eighty-eight minutes, and uh, they say that if you want to see this, uh, it will be visible to you. You'll need a sighting schedule for your location, and you can go to a website. It's uh, the Heavens Above website. So if you Google that, the Heavens Above. I haven't Googled it, so I don't, <laughs> there could be a few things there. But anyway, this is for tracking uh, <laughs> things in space. And uh, they have a sighting schedule, so you can look for your location. And when you go to this uh, site, you will be asked to log in if you'd like to do that. Uh, once you register, uh, all you need to do is indicate your location. On the home page under satellites, you will find 10-day predictions for satellites of special interest. So you could see quite a few satellites here. And uh, this particular satellite from China, it's predicted to make passes sometime around the break of dawn over much of the United States and southern Canada between March 26th and April 3rd, so coming up in these next few days. Among the features of the Heavens Above website is the ability to generate a sky map showing the path of this uh, Tiangong-1 among the background uh, stars. So if you are good at knowing what stars are normally in the sky there, you should be able to pick out then this uh this satellite. Typically, it can range in brightness from third magnitude to zero, uh, as bright as the brightest stars. So that if, if you know something about stars, that probably means more to you. <laughs> I'm not sure on that. Uh, as And again, as to where the space lab will make its final plunge, that too is a mystery. But it is circling the Earth, and it could fall in just about any place. So hopefully it lands in the ocean or somewhere where there's not people, but um, hopefully no one gets hurt. However... It would be awesome if you kind of knew where it landed. You can go, like, look at it. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I'm kind of worried about where it's going to land. Are there going to are, are there gonna be warnings to the American people about, hey, from this state, watch out, because it might land on your house or your property <laughs> or know. something like that? It's a good question. I, you know, I think that just it's so unknown right now that they probably can't say too much about it. Um, but it would be worth noting and, and paying attention to the news to see. 
So that'll be in the next few days here, the, the uh, 30th through the uh, 3rd of April. So this is the Tiangong 1, and uh, go out if you like that sort of thing and see if you can <laughs> see it circling the Earth uh, if, if weather is permitting. So that's kind of a neat, uh, a neat uh, space note. There's a lot of junk up there. It is amazing how much space debris is just floating around. Uh, I guess we uh, got tired of just putting junk on our own planet, so now we're throwing it up into space. Yeah, and scientists want to travel you know, other planets so that we could pollute the other planets again so we could move there and move another junk. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that is kind of the funny thing always is that they're always talking about trying to colonize Mars or something, and we have enough problems down here. <laughs> we haven't solved those. Uh, so, uh, But they, they have their eyes on the sky in a lot of ways. Uh, speaking of China, I mentioned this yesterday. China is really getting pretty uh, 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 aggressive in using their technology to keep track of people and what they're doing. Uh, one of the stories yesterday was about how uh, if you get caught jaywalking, they have facial recognition, and they uh, send you a text immediately telling you that you have a fine. Wow. So That's pretty creepy and scary is. at the same time. It is. And also, they uh, apparently, if you jaywalk, they immediately put your picture up on this big screen. Wow. Showing everyone that you you jaywalked, <laughs> so uh, they have immediate shaming and then a, a fine as well. I don't know how to think about it. I think it's effective coming from uh, that sort of country, not country, Asian country, I guess, where you really have to, hey, you're doing something wrong, and I'm gonna shame you for it. But at the same time, man, that's scary because what can stop them from tracking you anywhere you go? Yeah, that's that's a question. But you are, I mean, you are right that. Uh, it would be effective. No one would want to be. <laughs> no one would want to be in trouble for that. Uh, so anyway, they're they're going on and they're collecting even more information now. You might be familiar with Airbnb. You can rent out somebody's place if you're going to a city or something and stay there. And uh, Airbnb starts sharing Chinese hosts' info with the government. It says China is determined to make foreign companies bow to its surveillance rules, and that extends to home rental services. Airbnb has told hosts that it will start providing their information to Chinese government agencies on March 30th. Everything's happening on March 30th, it <laughs> seems. In order to obey regulations, the uh, country requires that citizens and visitors alike register their addresses with police in the first 24 hours after they either arrive in the country or stay at a hotel. That's a, I don't I don't know. I mean, I've traveled I haven't traveled internationally too often uh, a few times. Um, I don't recall anything like this ever happening where you'd have to register with local police that you're in the country. I guess maybe they already know. I don't know. But that that does seem a little bit, um, oh, I don't know, threatening in some ways. Yeah. I don't, it's it's very, I think they have another, it's just me, but I think it's they're just wanting different informations that the company might provide. It's interesting because I actually just booked an Airbnb house. I'm going to... Uh, in Chicago next couple of weeks and the process is you actually give them your ID so you you take a photo of your passport or your driver's license uh, and then you can rent the house that's a requirement so with with the access to I, I don't know the Chinese Airbnb I guess what's stopping them from getting the other addresses from maybe the US Airbnb or the other countries Airbnb database. Yeah. They know where you are. They can uh, they can track you. It's it. and we have a story about that later too about how I mean I guess it's just kind of naive to think people don't know what we're up to. I mean 
Facebook, Google, they, they know where you are <laughs> and what you're doing. And so, uh, it, it is, uh, interesting. I guess it's just another reason to, uh, try to be above reproach and not do something wrong. But, uh, this says Airbnb, uh, hasn't elaborated on just what it's disclosing. However, the spokesperson told Reuters that it honors uh, Chinese law. The company started its own Chinese division and moved data onshore to make sure it stayed in the country's good good uh, books. As with other foreign companies operating in China, Airbnb is, an, is in an awkward position. It has to show concern for privacy uh, in countries like the U.S., but it also has to erode privacy in China if it wants to maintain a presence in the largest market on earth. It could stay out on principle, but it would risk being permanently locked out of China as local competition cemented its dominance. So that's a really interesting uh, conundrum that companies are in because at least on the surface, they say they respect the privacy of people in the U.S. and other Western nations, but that exact same company has to operate in China where they don't want any of that privacy. So they have to try to navigate, and you have customers like with Airbnb that are probably going to both locations. Yeah, that's a very tricky situation. And if you're a businessman, you probably will opt for wanting both markets because you want the U.S. and you you want the biggest market, which is, which is China too. So I I've, I think they're going to expose the the information in China and try to keep it here in the U.S. I don't know. Yeah, they'll try to do their best. <laughs> but even here in the U.S., you know, they say there's privacy, but I, I, you know, I don't know how much there really is because uh, <clears throat> they, they uh, certainly sell it. I mean, uh, we all know that we get junk mail all the time. <laughs> Somebody sold their name. That happened to me just recently. It really bothered me because I have a couple of email accounts and I try to keep some more for business and then others for just you know, say if I bought something and need to communicate with the the retailer. Uh, and I made the mistake of using the one for like a purchase, and now I'm flooded with all the ridiculous spam emails. And I'm always, I expect to get more of the business-related ones on that one account, and then sure enough, they're trying to sell me windows or something for my house <laughs> or all these things. So uh, once your name's out there, you, you get the deluge of information you don't want. Yeah, that's one thing that really struck me here in the U.S. was how your phone number gets spread to all these salespeople. So the first, the, the first few months I was here in the U.S., I, I got a U.S. number, and I got calls from missouri tennessee and all these states like i don't know anyone from those states it's like how did they get my number and i rarely use my phone it's just for emergency mm -hmm. so it's it's a it's a very interesting thing that that's a big thing in the u.s because it, it's not in the philippines it's more like tech scams more than <laughs> calls yeah there's a there's a new scam that's out there uh andrew loker was talking about it yesterday he did the trumpet uh, daily radio show program and uh, you get a phone call from a number you don't recognize, and they, they try to tell you that uh, the IRS, you know, you some fraud, and you're involved, and you need to call this number and all that. And, of course, he was smart enough to realize, okay, this seems odd. And so what you would do in those cases is you just Google, like, the phone number mm -hmm. or and then scam or IRS scam or something, and sure enough, other people have had the similar experience. And you can determine pretty quickly that they're trying to scam you. But I probably, again, like you said, my phone number has gotten out there somehow. And I get, I would I would guess, it, it roughly three to four calls a day. And I have wow. caller ID. So I look at it and I say, well, I don't know who that is. So I don't even bother answering it. But it, at least three to four a day, just, you know, from random states. Okay. That pales into comparison to mine. I get like one or two per week. So Give it time. <laughs> Your number will get out there. 
Yeah, you'll start getting. Don't feel bad. That's good. It's better. <laughs> yeah, than I'm not looking for anything else. <laughs> I remember one interesting one I got was um, so Oklahoma. I guess oil is a big thing here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that caller said you have two hundred thousand dollars of investment in oil. I'm like, and I'm you a just student. I'm a student. I'm broke. Uh, that's not me. So I just ended it. It's like, man, this is so weird. Yeah. Well, uh, that would be a fast, uh, uh, fantastic if you could show up and have that much of an oil <laughs> all of a sudden. But yeah, it's amazing that the, the when your information's out there, people try to scam you, and just uh, this uh, a sign of the uh, the age that we live in. Uh, here's a story that I thought was kind of just interesting in passing. Um, there's this actress, I won't name her, she's apparently pretty famous. And as is uh, often the case with, well, a lot of people, but especially uh, some of the Hollywood types, they're they're in and out of quite a few marriages. And so it says a famous actress is criticized for saying she has doubts about the purpose of marriage. She's confused by why marriage even exists at all. Uh, the actress who divorced her first husband in 2008 and announced her split from, I believe it's a current husband or some sort of person that they're involved with, spoke Monday of her ambivalence about matrimony. She admitted that she wasn't sure if she'd consider marriage again as she's trying to figure out what the purpose is of legalizing relationships. That's a fair enough question in this society, especially you see all kinds of cohabitating and so forth. And so here's somebody who's been through a few marriages and they're saying um, pretty honestly, like, I don't even know why we get married. They don't know what the point of it is. It's interesting. Yeah, that's very sad. <laughs> it is sad, yeah. And the thing, too, the like the story, I guess part of the story is that some people were critical about her because she sent this out in a tweet. And she said, you know, why why do we get married? She says, is it safety for your children? Is it uh, convention? Is it so other people respect your relationship more? She says, for me, I'm just not quite sure where it fits. And uh, I feel bad for her because uh, I think she obviously doesn't know, and I think she's being honest. And then there were people that were pretty critical to her and uh, and said, you know, I don't know, they were they were negative. But I have to wonder even with the people that were negative, if they even know what the purpose is of marriage. You know, we, we see so many divorces, uh, so many different forms of people living <laughs> together communally. And uh, th- that question is out there. Like, why why do people get married and who invented it in the first place and do we need to keep doing it? Right. You can kind of see her thinking there that, you know, I've tried two times and it's just not working for me. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's, it's very sad. Uh, and I believe that um, those people who criticize her, if you ask them the same question, they probably wouldn't have a concrete answer to that question as well. Right. I think they'd be in the exact same boat if you drilled down to it. Uh, but there's a great book uh, on the trumpet.com that gets to the heart of this. It was written by Herbert W. Armstrong, and the title is Why Marriage Soon Obsolete. And I think he first wrote it in the 1970s, so it's, it's been a while, and you see how far things have deteriorated since then. But it says, is marriage on the way out? Is adultery still wrong today? Is the institution of the home with its family life to disappear from society? How and when did the institution of marriage originate? Does it, after all, serve any necessary purpose? This booklet takes an in-depth look at the institutions of marriage, the home, the family li- and family life, and reveals a startling, even shocking truth which has been altogether overlooked by science, by religion, by education, and by society. So if ever somebody was, you know, if that information was relevant, it, it certainly is relevant today more than ever because those questions that he was asking there, I think it was in the 70s originally, you know, at that time, well, you know, 
there, I, I don't think people took it quite as seriously that these would actually be questions people would have. But you look at this famous actress just in the last few days saying, why do we even do this? What's the point of this? And then if you factor in, obviously, all the changing relationships where, well, anybody can supposedly marry anybody or, or things. A lady married a tree the other day. <laughs> she didn't want it to be cut down, so she married it so it could stay there, I guess. I don't know. It gets weirder <laughs> and weirder, but uh, that's why the information in this book is so important. So Because there is a real purpose for marriage, and it gets back to the fact that actually you know, God created it, right. and it's not for man to tamper mm-hmm. with. So yeah. it's uh, it's just interesting to see that this actress had some of the same questions that Mr. Armstrong had, but she doesn't have the answers yet. Yeah, hopefully we could get that book out there. It, while you were listing out the questions, I'm sure those are the same questions that people out there are wondering, why why marriage, you know, why even try? So mm-hmm. if they read that book, uh, that would answer all their questions. Yeah, and it does get back to the fact that if marriage is was created by uh, by God, well, then, then there's laws for it, and then there's a reason for it. But if it's just something man invented, then, well, yeah, man invents a lot of things, but, of course, that's not the case. Uh, you may have seen in the news this last week that um, North Korea visited China, and uh, they showed up on that green train. Did you see that green train that he showed up on? I actually didn't see uh, that. You have to go back and look. It was. I think that's something that caught everybody's attention, that uh, the North Korean leader... Uh, showed up to visit uh, China there, and he had this amazing green train, like from another era. And uh, so, anyway, the not that this is a part of the story I'm focusing on, but it's interesting. <laughs> uh, so, a lot of people say, "Well, what's with the green train?" And mm-hmm. uh, I think it was used by his father and his grandfather. And uh, apparently, it's this big luxury train they travel around in, heavily armored. It only travels, I think, about 35 miles an hour because of how much armor is on the train. So, and you can, it's got, you know, everything you'd expect. It's got all the luxuries, all the food, all the, all the drink, all the, whatever you want. It's on this, this huge train that he showed up in. Yeah, I bet. I'm going to check that out after this. (laughs) It's a pretty interesting train there. There was, yeah, there's not a lot of, um, oh, photos out there. Obviously they keep that stuff pretty, uh, close, uh, close to within the country. But, uh, years ago there was, uh, uh, Kim Jong-un's, uh, father took a trip across Russia when he was the leader and it took a while, obviously it was a slow train and uh, there were some Russian diplomats on the train. And so they kind of leaked out some information mm-hmm. about what was like on the train. So they had all their, all their famous, you know, uh, whatever you wanted as far as you could have, you know, French cuisine, Chinese, Russian, they make whatever for you. And uh, at every stop and they stopped pretty often, I guess there was uh, live lobsters to be brought on. So people want to eat their lobster, which you shouldn't do by the way. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but they wanted to eat the lobster. And so they had this big train they showed up in. And uh, so people are saying, well, how important is uh, China to North Korea? I uh, Just consider this one fact. China is responsible for 90% of North Korea's trade with the outside world, according to the national interest. So if North Korea has any hope of being relevant at all in the world, they have to uh, have China's help and support. Right. That's happening to my country as well. The presence of uh, China is very, very strong now. Um, we have that dispute over that island, Spratleys, and they're pretty much taking over the place. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty much the the main country in Southeast Asia. And you kind of have to deal with them or be friends with them in order to survive, you know, because the U.S. have has left the area. <laughs> right. Yeah, they have uh, uh, war drills that they're they're doing military drills there in the South China Sea, and they just now they're going to do those 
uh, every month, they said, where they were just doing them, I guess, twice a year. So oh. they're definitely active there. And uh, But, yeah, you see that, obviously, in the Philippines, that right. you, you, you need an ally, and if the U.S. isn't, isn't uh, much of an ally, uh, then you've got to go to China. Where else are you going to go? Yeah, we don't have anywhere to go. Like, we don't have our own military or navy. We rely on the U.S. for that. So um, it's it's a dilemma. So you go through to the, the strongest arm there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. And so <clears throat> before North Korea wants to have these meetings with uh, President Trump of the United States, they, they went and they uh, spent some time with China there. So, uh, But, yeah, 90% of the uh, North Korea trade with the outside world it comes from China. Even during the Olympics uh, at Pyeongchang there in South Korea, uh, I think it was NBC went in and they were doing some interviews. And they even they, and they're, you know, they, they try to, I don't know, bolster North Korea's image <laughs> for some reason. But they even they uh, had a report showing that just going through like the street uh, markets that were there in uh, South Korea, uh, they had a lot of stuff they were selling that was... Uh, uh, from China. No, actually, sorry, they were in North Korea at the time because they did a special report. And uh, a lot of the stuff they were selling was from China. China. And then they tried to, to lie and say it wasn't. But right. but there was obviously quite a connection between North Korea and China. They very mm-hmm. much, very much rely on China. <clears throat> it's interesting because a lot of the write-ups try to make it out like, you know, China's really concerned about North Korea and, you know, and, and uh, you know, wants to, you know, sort of have a peace with them. But they can do whatever they want to North Korea. They could shut, just even, forget military, they could just shut off all that trade, and what would North Korea have? Yeah, they wouldn't have anything at all. They can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, they'd be down to 10%, I guess. And so it's not, it's a lot of poverty in that country anyway. Uh, here's a uh, interesting story. This is uh, from The Wrap. Uh, CNN student gun violence panel uh, goes off the rails. Would you be surprised to know that when CNN's uh, New Day program welcomed a panel of high school students to discuss school gun violence, the conversation uh, changed very quickly to the teenagers yelling at each other about who was racist. So when you bring on you know, some 17, 16, 17-year-olds, uh, things are going to get out of hand pretty quickly. Uh, the 17-year-old, I believe it's a girl, she said, who is carrying out these shootings? Young white men. So it became racial very quickly. And so one of the panel's uh, uh, pro-gun advocates, he, a white fella, he said, now you're a racist. Why are you attacking white people? And then he brought up some other examples. And then things continued to, to spin out of control, and they kept going back and forth, everyone mm-hmm. accusing everyone of racism. And it, just, it does just highlight, um, you know, the fact that the more young people that they put on TV – to talk about these things, which they really, they really haven't thought about very deeply. I don't think it's just an emotional argument. The more division, the more hatred is being stirred up. You know, CNN brings on all these, these teenagers to talk about gun violence and they end up getting into a heated argument about racism. You know, I I just, you have to say, well, what benefit was that to have this panel? Right. It's, it's just out of control. What do you expect? You know, when you put, young people there to 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 talk about an issue uh what it is going to boil down to is like an instagram or a twitter (laughs) bashing live yeah which is much worse because it's it's unadulterated and just straight out (laughs) right yeah that's a great point that it is just like that 
the Twitter, but except it's in real life, <laughs> or, or or it's people talking to each other instead of just firing off the comments back and forth. So uh, quite a divide there playing out on CNN. I don't know. I don't know if that helps their ratings to have these types of shows mm-hmm. on or not, um, but it makes some headlines for sure. Uh, there is a couple of interesting notes just about the entertainment in the U.S., and it does, again, highlight sort of this divide, massive divide between the conservative and the the uh, the radical left. And uh, this is from Deadline.com. It says, Roseanne revivals a huge debut, stuns Hollywood, prompts soul-searching. So Roseanne was this show, many of you, if, depending on your age, remember. I remember it from when I was younger. Uh, it was sort of this blue-collar family in Chicago. Um, you know, it was. I think it, it was a pretty crass show. I didn't. I, I saw a little bit of it when I was younger. It's so. So it was crass. I'm not recommending it as a program, but it, it was. Kind, it kind of dealt with the blue-collar life, and I think the reason it was popular at the time is it, it took the. Uh, it didn't like glamorize life, like the Cosby Show or other shows right. where everything was kind of good. Uh, it showed like the nine-to-five blue-collar life uh i'm not saying that's good or that should be like promoted but it was popular at the time for that so they do this reboot 21 years later and people love it and the the characters are are pro-trump and so they're stunned that a lot of america really liked that program yeah that's i haven't heard of that show before uh that's interesting that it's just uh not like a dream world type yeah, uh, show. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much dealing with like the the reality of day to day life. I guess you know as far as the writers are concerned. So, but in this current political environment, you'd think if you believe the media, you'd think, oh, there would be no room for this mm-hmm. to have a show on that's sort of this blue collar supports President Trump. You know, but obviously, there's a lot of people that elected him, so there would be people that like it. What's interesting is that where it was popular in the U.S. Uh, it says uh, both President Trump and Roseanne were able to tap into the often overlooked and uh, underserved working class audience. Not surprisingly, the top TV markets where Roseanne delivered its highest ratings were in states that were handily carried by President Trump in the election. The number one place in the entire country as far as tuning in to this reboot of Roseanne, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> People in right Tulsa, here. yeah, they say that's what President Trump won uh, Tulsa area mm-hmm. with sixty five point three percent of the vote. So those two things kind of go together. Those people that are more supportive of President Trump are also supportive of this uh, Roseanne type character and show. Is, is the media does the media say anything about the show or how how it is? Are are they commenting about it? A little bit, yeah. CN, it was interesting to see what CNN said because they're very liberal, obviously, and and they said well. It was pretty good. The show was good, they thought, but um, and again, I'm not saying it's a good show. But I mean, in terms of the critics, <laughs> right. I guess, they 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 thought it was good, but they were quick to kind of disparage Roseanne's character and say, well, it wasn't because of her, or uh, you know, they they thought it did okay. Uh, and now they're wondering, uh, does ABC, which this show airs on, and ABC has kind of this history over the years of having some sort of these blue collar shows. They had some other shows that were very popular. And they're wondering, should they bring them back? Um, one of them was, uh, oh, I can't think of the name of the show, uh, Home Improvement, Tim Allen. That was a really popular show. He was kind of this conservative guy, sort of a Christian, as they would view it. Mm-hmm. 
So they're thinking about maybe having a reboot. Maybe somebody, somebody anyway, put that out there. He had another show that was very popular years later, and they canceled it even though it was popular, and he thought they canceled it because he was conservative. And Hollywood just just doesn't want anything to do with the conservatives. But at the end of the day, I mean, money talks and ratings talk. So we'll see if this thing continues to be popular. Uh, the the ratings uh, show that, like I said, Tulsa, Oklahoma was number one. After that, it was uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, Kansas mm-hmm. City, Missouri. So these more Midwestern towns. The only marquee city from a blue state in the top ten as far as viewership was Chicago mm-hmm. at number five, and that's the area where the series is set. It was not popular in New York, Los Angeles, <laughs> or any of those. So you see, even, even in Roseanne's ratings, you see the divide politically in the mm-hmm. country. There's a lot of uh, a lot more interest in the Midwest than there is out on the liberal <laughs> liberal coasts. So uh, it's funny how you can you can look at the the ratings of a show mm-hmm. and it it does highlight just even people's political and maybe to some extent uh, religious affiliations. Yeah, I guess you can see what people consume is what their ideas are too. So it's interesting that you can map it out. It's like oh yeah, these people are pro. These people are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the data that you can find from things like this is really interesting. And they look at it, and they do they do uh, pay attention to it as far as, uh, you know, elections and so forth. Related to that, this is from AFP, there is a, a religious revival sort of happening in uh, Hollywood. Uh, not, not all of Hollywood, <laughs> but uh, they say movie theaters cash in as Hollywood turns to God. Uh, religion is reclaiming cinema for sacred purposes at a rate never seen in history with faith-based movies exploding from an obscure cottage industry last century into a multi-billion dollar business. So, you know, Hollywood, just like music or anything, is very formulaic to where they say, oh, this works. You know, people like this one type of movie. Let's Mm -hmm. make 100 more movies like that. Mm -hmm. And so they have found that if they put out these faith-based movies that that evangelical churches get behind— uh, it's not going to be the number one movie in America, but for the money they put into it, they're going to get a lot of money back because a lot of these uh, evangelicals want to go see these films. That's right. Uh, that's very dangerous too because, like you said, uh, the movie industry, is, it's its a money industry, industry. So I just wonder how much truth is out there and how much, you know, falsity is mixed in with the movie or whatever it is yeah a lot a lot <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> because they say that the um uh, uh these movies um it says these faith-based movies depart from what traditional mainstream hollywood movies need uh, to do they say um well just as far as their marketing i guess that was not the point i was looking for there but uh they were talking about how the some of these movies are more uh, modern in terms of they're not going back to like say the Ten Commandments movie which okay. had its errors obviously <laughs> as well if you you know uh, about what actually happened there and you read, read the Bible account but they're they're making these more modern more contemporary stories uh, oh here's a quote I was looking for the relatively recent upsurge is uh, down to smaller distributors who have really cracked the code they say on what religious audiences want. Uh, often eschewing epic biblical dramas for modern contemporary stories. So, you know, it's stories about a family or something, and they're a little more conservative, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, there's a miracle or a faith okay. issue or something. So it's, it's this modern sort of <laughs> contemporary story, but it has this faith-based theme, okay. and, and those are pulling in pretty good numbers. I'm not familiar with the titles, but, I mean, uh, you know, they're making, they're making millions of dollars. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about the the movie Noah and 
Oh, I think mm-hmm. they made a movie about Moses as well. That's why I thought this was, but I guess it's different. It's, it's families, normal Christian families with miracles, story like that. Things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're, they're doing both. I mean, there's a movie coming out on Sol- uh, not Solomon, sorry, uh, uh, Samson. Wow. So I don't know exactly how uh, well that one will do. <laughs> but they, a couple of titles, like one is called I Can Only Imagine, starring mm-hmm. Dennis Quaid. It made $17 wow. million its opening weekend. Um, which, you know, again, that's not going to take you to the top spot, but at the same time, they're not putting a lot of money into these films. And to draw that many people is pretty amazing. Uh, There's another film that's being made, or I guess they did finish, uh, on Paul, Paul, Mm. Apostle of Christ. And uh, it stars James Faulkner in the role alongside Jim Caviezel, who you might remember played Christ in Mel Gibson's Mm -hmm. The Passion of Christ. Uh, Interesting note about Jim Caviezel, my wife uh, went to the same school he did, high school. Oh, wow. <laughs> She's we. I have this joke with her all the time because <laughs> every time somebody comes up and like uh, they're from Hollywood or something, uh, th- it seems like she knows. She's like, oh, yeah, I went to school with them or I knew them or my, you know. I'm like, where did you go to school? <laughs> like Hollywood High? Like how do you know all these people? <laughs> An acting school or something. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's not not everybody, but there's been a few, mm-hmm. and he's one of the bigger ones. So every time I see his name, I'm like, oh, yeah, he went to the same <laughs> school my wife did. But anyway, he was in The Passion of Christ, and uh, that was, of course, a, a big blockbuster mm-hmm. back in uh, 2004. So anyway, they're looking at these. They're also, they also consider some movies, they're even taking, like, say, Hacksaw Ridge mm-hmm. and saying that's a religious movie because the guy, you know, he uh, was a Sabbath keeper, right. I believe. So mm-hmm. they're, they're, there's not a lot about religion in that story other than that fact. Mm-hmm. It's just a, <laughs> it's a pretty rough film in terms of the violence. But they're lumping quite a few things into this faith-based film industry, and and they're doing very well. I mean, there there is a lot of evangelicals in the country, a lot of people that do lean that way and think that way. So Hollywood's happy to take their money. Um, but again, you know, there you just see this big divide between the very extreme liberals, and then you've got this basically center of the country that's actually, you know, uh, more interested in these quote-unquote faith-based films. Yeah, I guess there's... A lot of things for everyone, different kinds of movies, different kinds of genres for different kinds of people. Yeah, and uh, those two ideas of like how to live seem to be getting further and further <laughs> apart. Although, even the modern uh, Christian, as they would view it, they're they're pretty far removed from mm-hmm. what maybe their their parents and so forth, some of their beliefs. But uh, we've heard a lot lately about uh, Facebook, and uh, they say you think Facebook knows a lot about you. Google is worse. <laughs> they say they, they know about every, just about everything that there is to know about you. And this is from the Daily Mail. Uh, it, it dated back to, uh, well, actually, the, the fellow's name is Dylan Curran. Uh, he downloaded all the data stored on him by Facebook and Google to compare who had more information on him. And he's, he's in IT, so I guess he knew how to get around and do these things. So he laid out the extent of private information that is held on him uh, in a series of tweets. And they say it ranges, the information that Google has on him ranges from every place he visited in the past year to every website he clicked on, even uh, contained files deleted from his Google Drive cloud storage account. Of course, uh, sometimes we hit delete, and we may think that it's gone, but it's not. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> has it. The news comes in the wake of the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which saw a Trump-affiliated firm obtaining data on 50 million unsuspecting Facebook users. So this IT expert found that Google was constantly tracking his location in the background, including how long it took to travel between various points. 
uh, if you have a phone and you turn on location tracker, mm-hmm. it's it's right. tracking you. So uh, they say it also held uh, details about his hobbies and interests, as well as guesses on possible weight and income. Uh, he said, it's wrong to trust any entity that big with so much information. They're just trying to make money, but at some point someone's going to make a mistake or use that data for uh, bad reasons. They say if you have location tracking turned on via your smartphone, tablet, or other connected device, and they're switched on, Google stores details of everywhere you've been. For Mr. Curran, this includes his travels around Ireland over the previous 12 months, including journey times between towns and cities, and uh, what pubs he went to, how long he was in each pub, and the route he took to get home. That is scary. So you're pretty much being on surveillance the whole time then. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a great way to put it. You're you're being uh, surveilled. (laughs) (laughs) But they have a comparison here. It's really interesting. What does Facebook have on you versus what does Google Mm -hmm. have on you? Facebook has uh, every message, uh, messenger message you've sent or received. Every Facebook friend you have or connected with, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Every Facebook voice call you have made. Every smartphone contact. Every text message sent or received. Every phone call made or received. Every file you have sent or received. Every time you signed into Facebook and from where. uh, Every stickers emoji you have ever (laughs) sent. So some of that's probably not relevant, but some of that could be pretty relevant. Mm -hmm. And maybe you wouldn't want people to know that. Yeah, Technology is so wonderful in how it helps us communicate to one one another. Like, I call my parents once a week, and they're like eight thousand or how many thousand miles away from me from the Philippines, and we could Skype or uh, FaceTime mm. live. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> but at the same time, it also can be a weapon to the people in the wrong hands. Yeah, and and that's what people are worried about. So that's what Facebook has on you. Here's what Google has on you. Every search made, even if it's been cleared from your browser or device history, every event in your Google Calendar, including whether you attended, wow, wow, every location you have visited, including how long it took you to get there, how long you stayed and when you left, <clears throat> every image and file you have downloaded, mm. every file you've ever uploaded to Google Drive, even if they've been deleted, every Google Fit workout you've ever done, every photo you have taken, including metadata on where and when it was shot, Every ad you've ever viewed or clicked on, every marketing topic that might interest you based on factors like your age, gender, location, web activity, every app you've ever searched for, installed, or launched, every YouTube video you've ever searched for or watched, every email you ever sent or received, including deleted messages and spam, it knows all your YouTube history. Uh, all your browsing. It can reveal a multitude of personal details about you, ranging from your political and religious beliefs mm-hmm. to mental and physical health issues. In Mr. Curran's case, it revealed every YouTube video he'd ever searched for or viewed since 2008. Anybody get nervous? <laughs> yeah. It's time to switch back to Internet Explorer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to go back to the yeah, the pigeons uh, sending <laughs> messages to each other or <laughs> via pigeon, messenger pigeon. Yeah, that's amazing, especially when you consider that you can really make a pretty complete profile on somebody. You know, what what, what are their health concerns? What do they search for? You know, what what's the issues? Yeah, from what you've mentioned, it covers everything from what they want to buy, what they deem as uh, fun to watch entertainment and the religious beliefs and everything. Well, that can be useful in their terms and about selling their product. Maybe it can provide some good statistics on, oh, let's feed him this ad so that he buys it, he clicks on it. 
but at the same time, it's so dangerous. It's scary even. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. What could that information do in the wrong hands? That's uh. And, but the thing that's that we're kind of in a trap, right? Because how are you going to survive without Google? I mean, you could probably maybe do it somehow, but we're just so we're so tied into the system. But being so tied into the system means that the system knows everything about you. Yeah, I guess it's just a matter of being aware of it. I actually read a book about technology recently, and it was interesting because uh, it's a book entitled Irresistible, hmm. and it starts out by saying Steve Jobs released this book, uh, the iPad, in 2010, and he said it's the best way to consume media. And then two years after, uh, a journalist from the New York Times interviewed him and just kind of threw him a softball question. It's like, your kids must love the iPad. And then Steve Jobs said, no, I limit their use and I don't allow it uh, that much at home. I'm like, that's surprising. That's the maker of iPad, the iPad, telling uh, everyone that, hey, it's dangerous. I don't let them use it for that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's some others have come out and said that too. I think even the invent- some of the inventors behind Facebook and other other very uh, prominently used social media and devices, they're, they're smart enough to realize that um, – it, you know, it, it's a real time waster. It can be, uh, and it can be addictive. And even there's uh, reports that came out, two reports. One said that teenagers are the happiest if they have an hour or less of digital media mm. or, or social media consumption a day. And then also the psychology behind how they design apps and how they design your phone. And it's the same basic psychology they use to make, um, um, uh, what do they call those, uh, gambling machines, uh, Slot machines. Slot machines, thank you. <laughs> it shows I don't gamble. I don't know the names. Um, it's the same psychology. It gets you hooked. It's it's mm-hmm. colorful, uh, it, it, certain noises and dings, and they just know how to make it interesting to you, and they use that same psychology when they're designing apps and other things, and that's why they're so addictive. Right. Um, I think one of the founding makers of Facebook said Facebook, takes advantage of the vulnerability in human psychology. Mm. So they know if a teen is insecure or angry or uh, getting too much like likes, and they withhold that so that they check your website more, they check your Insta- you check your Instagram more, Facebook more. So it's, it's very manipulative and very scary too, to the point of the makers themselves. It's like, what monster have I created? Right, yeah. And then, too, like this uh, IT guy says that checked what Google has on them. They are just trying to make money, but at what point has it become even more uh, dangerous than that? So pretty interesting, something to consider there. Uh, Gino, you've got a historical note for us today, um, something that happened on this day in history uh, related to Vietnam and the United States. Right. Uh, On this day in March 29, 1973, Uh, The U.S. withdraws from Vietnam, and as you all know, America was involved in that war for eight years, and uh, throughout the years, they've been increasing the number of uh, uh, military personnel, by example, by 1965, uh, they increased it to 300,000 military personnel. Then in 1969, they increased it to, the, to its peak at nearly 550,000 uh, men. And it wasn't until uh, finally in January 1973 that the war was just getting too big and costly and we weren't gaining ground that the U.S. had to withdraw their troops. So 
it was on this on this day in March 29, 1973, that the U.S. withdraws from Vietnam. And that's the start of many more <laughs> U.S. withdrawals throughout that region, too. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. That's, uh, I was talking yesterday about this really interesting um, write-up The Plain Truth did in 1968, and it was in relation to the teens that were out in the streets protesting and, and the young people. And uh, it was interesting to look at in relation to today because you have a lot of protesters as well, young people. But, of course, back then they were protesting the Vietnam War. They were out there, you know, burning their draft cards and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, man, protesting uh, all of that. And so uh, it, it, that was the, the probably the moments that we all look back on as far as U.S. history. One of them was a lot of social upheaval. There was mm-hmm. the protests over the Vietnam War. And, of course, the, the war went horribly and uh, all sorts of problems there. And, um, you know, uh, it, but it really did uh, just... Yeah, <laughs> threw gasoline really on the fire of of that sort of protesting spirit that was out there, and again, so we see it today as well. So there are a lot of parallels, I think, between just the social movements of the mm. '60s and then the, some of the stuff we see today with the gun right. gun protests and other things. Right. Yeah, it it kind of connects with the stories that we've been talking about about why do we have marriages and why is there a need for a family, mm-hmm. and that's the basics the basics of a society. If you take that away. Then you know you're sooner or later your nation will just fall apart, and it's interesting because Mr. Armstrong actually uh, forecasted that America would win its last war with World War Two, and how true that has been. <laughs> yeah. From now. Yeah, we we have had Korea, Vietnam, of course, and then recently we've had the the Gulf Wars mm-hmm. and going to Iraq, and and you know it's we've got in, we've done some things, and we've got out, but if you look at those regions they're they're still having instability to say the least and uh cost a lot of american lives and we just definitely didn't get get a victory in any of those uh instances and then like you said too uh the the breakdown in the family and all that that really exploded there in the 1960s and uh hasn't slowed down since so that's one of the things that's fascinating about reading some of the the uh, booklets that you can get at the trumpet.com, mm-hmm. uh, especially what Mr. Armstrong wrote in the sense of writing it years ago, and but it's more relevant today than ever. And you can just really, you know, gauge uh, the accuracy of it because we've lived, you know, through it, you know, the breakdown of the family and these things accelerating. And that's right. Like when you're reading Mr. Armstrong's uh, booklets, you can just create a checklist, checklist of what's happening today. It's like, yep. Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's very accurate, very accurate indeed. Yeah. Also, uh, make sure that you do stop and check out the trumpet.com today. Uh, the top story is something that uh, we mentioned in passing the other day. Really interesting, uh, Barack Obama's youth movement. He's not getting any younger, but he's he's helping. He wants the young people to follow him. <laughs> this is by Andrew Miller. Uh, he's 56, by the way. I had to look it up because the other day he was talking about how all the problems in the world are because of old men. I was like, well, how old is he? He's 56. Uh, not old, but, you know, getting older. It says, does the United, this is Andrew Miller, he says, does the United States need a million young Barack Obamas? Uh, generational divisions in American politics are wider now than they have been in decades. And, and we just even highlighted that in, in some of the stories today. The millennial generation is far more supportive of abortion gun control, homosexuality, immigration, uh, marijuana legalization, and socialism than the older generations. 
politicians like Obama and uh, Sanders uh, support these youths in an attempt to kick off a political revolution. And history shows that when a nation succumbs to division and infighting, it becomes vulnerable to attack by foreign enemies. Protests over race relations and economic inequality are spiraling into riots, leaving blood in America's streets. So it hasn't uh, exploded in full yet, but you can see the seeds of it with the gun protests. Even I think even today there's the funeral in uh, Sacramento for the young black man that was mm-hmm. killed out there by police, and they're calling for calm. So we'll see what happens in that instance. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of those riots happen before. So hopefully they, they don't, but at the same time, as mm-hmm. Andrew Miller goes on to point out, you can look at biblical prophecies that show mm-hmm. that, that that's where it's heading because there's such a divide uh, between the different ages and the political uh, uh, ideologies that a lot of people have. Right. And it's, like I said, we've, we've shown it in even the movies that people watch, there's a divide. Yep. Yeah, there's quite a divide in uh, in all sorts of uh, media today. And uh, so pretty interesting to look at uh, that top story there at thetrumpet.com. I, I saw, too, it's pretty uh, it's a pretty bold statement for a uh, person to make that you want a million use. <laughs> I want to make a million more just like me. I thought I, I was trying to remember if anybody's ever said that before, like if I could remember that being said it. Uh, you know, depending on who said it, you'd really catch a lot of backlash. But of course, the media really likes him. But what if President Trump came out and said, "I want a million more me's"? Oh boy, I can't imagine what would happen to the media. It's just exploding everywhere. Yeah, it, it would be. I mean, it's. I don't know. It's pretty uh, self-centered to say the least. Uh, you know, what what would solve today's problems? Just make me <laughs> another million times, and that'll. That'll solve it all. So anyway, it's a really interesting write-up there at thetrumpet.com. A couple other stories to check out there today uh, is when Israelis struck Syria in 2007, the world was on the brink of Armageddon. That's by Anthony Chibari. And also in uh, Challenge to Dollar, China launches landmark oil futures contract. That's by Jeremiah Jacques. So quite a few uh, interesting stories there today at thetrumpet.com. And there's also a video that will draw your attention to. It's a Trumpet Talk video uh, will Emperor Xi Jinping use his vast power to seize Taiwan? Mm. That's uh, interesting. What's the what's the thinking there as far as you know? You would understand from the Philippines. Are people uh, excited about say embracing China more, or nervous, or somewhere in between? It's it's kind of divided. I think uh, I know when the last of the troops of in in Clark Air Base, the American troops left that place. There were divides in oh we want the the American troops to stay there because they're good for us they they they'll protect us but at the same time there were protests too of like you know, boot out the Americans and let the Chinese people in so it's kind of like both ways yeah in a way but I think it's shifting more towards China now um, in terms of thinking because there really isn't uh, an American presence there anymore and the the leaders and. The, our president sees it and he's cozying up to China a lot now. Yeah. But I went to Hong Kong actually a couple of years ago and I don't know if China has claimed them back into their into their arms yet or Taiwan too, but it seems like they don't want to uh, go back to China, but it's not like they have the, a choice to. Right, unless they've got the U.S. supporting them or some other power and really right. the U.S. is the only one, then... then they're going to have to give in to what China wants to do, it seems like. 
which uh, that's something that Trump has talked about for years, written about in The Plain Truth before then, is that when the U.S. becomes isolationist, there's a power vacuum. Mm-hmm. And there's a, we have a lot of allies around the world that relied on us, and, and uh, especially under the uh, Obama administration, really were, they had their, you know, uh, we turned our backs on them in a lot of ways, in, including, you know, the Philippines, including uh, Israel in the Middle East. And so they have to look to somebody and whoever the biggest, most powerful kid is on the block, so to speak, that's the one you're going to want to be friends with. That's right. Whoever can protect you, I guess, mm-hmm. you'll be friends with that uh, country. Yep. And so uh, for people in the U.S., it'd be easy to think, well, what difference does it make? But it does because there's lots of prophecies about us being frozen out of global trade mm-hmm. and other issues like that. So a uh, lot to, to consider there. So make sure you stop and check out thetrumpet.com today to see some of those uh, stories. That's all the time that we have for today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here at 101.3 KPCG. Make sure you listen for the uh, Kia David program, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, coming up in just a bit. For Gino Chi and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.